Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I am your host, Doug Stewart, and I am excited to talk with our guest today about a project that has been uh, several years in the making, and I was recently able to watch the results of this project, and I'm just like enthusiastically like wanting everybody to like know about it. And I know some of our listeners probably do know about it, which is the Tuttle Twins TV show. And with me today is the creator of the show, Daniel Harmon. Daniel is the chief creative officer and founder at the Harmon Brothers Agency, where coincidentally, he's also one of the founding brothers in the Harmon family. He's known for his advertising work, directing the viral Squatty Potty, Purple Mattress, Chapbooks, Fiber Fix, and Camp Chef ads. Under his creative leadership, Harmon Brothers ads have driven over $400 million in sales and reached over 1.4 billion views. And I really hope that the Tuttle Twin show gets 1.4 billion views, Daniel, because this is a show that is pretty amazing. It's very engaging for both adults and kids. And so I wish you that level of success just for this one project. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, we hope we get there as well. Our, our goal is actually to reach 100 million kids with this show. And we feel like if we could do that, starting in the US and then spreading worldwide, that that will change a lot, a lot of hearts and minds for the future and make better voters, people that want to go out there and represent their community and really make a difference in, you know, for the long game, this is yeah. all about affecting long-term change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So you're not just the show's creator because you're like making kids TV shows. So I, I think there's probably a little bit of a background as to why you're enthusiastic about this project as well. So why don't you give us a little bit of your backstory and how you got connected with Connor with the Tuttle Twins book series? Yeah, I grew up in Idaho. I grew up in a big family with freedom-loving parents. I am one of nine siblings, and when you grow up in Idaho and your closest neighbor is about a quarter mile away, you learn what freedom actually feels like. <laughs> and, you know, grew up in a farming community, and I also had an uncle that taught me a lot about freedom. I attended a local private school that he ran, and he based his curriculum on teaching about the concepts of freedom and the human condition and the way nations and governments kind of repeat the same cycles over time when they're embracing different government systems that have been known to fail. And so I learned a lot about history and a lot about economics and those types of things from my parents and from my uncle. And so that love for freedom and for liberty was instilled really deeply in me. And then fast forward, you know, a couple decades is kind of when I got to know Connor. Connor being the author of the Tuttle Twins books, he published the first book. Oh, I can't even remember what year it was. But as soon as he published it, I bought it immediately. And I read it to my kids because I was looking for that type of a resource to teach my kids about these concepts of freedom. My kids really liked it. My wife and I really liked it. And we've bought every copy since. And so Connor and I have actually been friends for a while. And once the book series really started to gain momentum and show that there was a hungry audience out there for this type of content, like, I mean, 
really hungry. We're talking, they've now sold over 3 million copies of this book series. And Connor was starting to entertain the idea of turning it into a cartoon. I reached out to him with my team from Harmon Brothers, the ad agency that I'm where I'm chief creative officer and said, no, we want to make it into a cartoon <laughs> for you. And so he's been a fan of our work for a long time and really admired the different big viral ads that we've done. And we've been a fan of his work for a long time. And so we just kind of sat down together and I kind of painted a vision for where I wanted this thing to go. And yeah, we were able to bring together a deal and we're now five episodes into our first season of Tuttle Twins, the cartoon. Yeah, well, I feel like it's a really great partnership, you know, partly based on what you just said, but also, you know, I've been following Connor since that first book on the law, Mm -hmm. but I didn't get to read it until a couple of years later because my kids weren't quite old enough to really, you know, interested in the content. And then I began, you know, reading them and I was like, oh my goodness, I got to, I got to buy all this. So I actually bought two copies of every book at the time so that I could share it with other Mm -hmm. families and so forth. And what's unique to me about this book is that it, it's clearly a libertarian book series, but it doesn't quite paint itself as that. It doesn't have that label on it per se. And so it's very attractive to a lot of just liberty-loving families and liberty-loving parents who want their kids to be taught sound principles, principles of sound economics, sound governance, things like that. And so you're right, you're getting them while they're young, And that sounds somewhat nefarious, I suppose, uh, if you say it the way I just said it, but (laughs) it's very important to teach kids sound principles. Well, so yeah. Yeah, if I can speak to that, a lot of people say, well, how is this not indoctrination? Or how is this, you know, how can you go after the kids this way and not feel like you're brainwashing or, you know, whatever the concept is? My response to that is, I'm making the show that I would have wanted as a kid. And I'm making the show that I want my kids to have. And ultimately, as parents, it is our job to pass our values on to the next generation. That's what we all do, right? Mm. Whether we come from a Christian background, whether we come from a conservative or a libertarian or whatever label background you come from, all parents want to teach their kids the values and the principles that they hold dear. And that's the same on the left, the right, all over the spectrum, right? We're just creating a tool for parents to be able to do that with their kids, to be able to transfer this knowledge and these principles that they believe in, in a more effective and entertaining way. And so at the end of the day, you know, any kid is going to choose their own path at some point, Mm -hmm. but we're trying to provide tools for parents to be able to teach as effectively as possible because it's really, it really comes down to the parents more than anything. We want this to be a co-viewing experience, right? Where parents will actually sit down with their kids, watch it as well and discuss the topic very much like they're already doing with the books. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the goal. Yeah. Well, I have a follow-up question on what you just said that we'll, I'm going to save to a little bit later because it's sort of related to, possible critiques that people might have. So yeah. I'll hold our listeners and you in suspense on, on that question. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, well, I was, my next question was, why do you think this show is needed? And I think you've semi answered that. What do you see about the culture around us that is lacking that kids need to hear? Like, what are they, what are they getting now? And how are you providing somewhat of an antidote to that? Yeah, I think what's happening now is the principles 
of freedom are being lost from the curriculum and teaching in public schools and in culture. So what they're seeing taught in the media they're viewing and what they're hearing taught at school is often not reflective of what actually is believed or what is being taught in the home. And so Tuttle Twins, both the book series and the TV series, is providing a tool for parents that they didn't have prior. And we hear that all the time. I think that the market response to this book series and, you know, in purchasing over 3 million copies, you know, I think they're even, they're going to pass 4 million copies this year, really kind of shows what's going on with parents. And like you said, the way that we're approaching this is very much, let's kind of remove the labels for a minute, right? Because sometimes we get hung up on things like Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, libertarian, whatever it is, these different sort of party line or political or marketing labels. And people come with their own notions of what all those things mean. And they may be right or they may not be. But if you say conservative to someone, that might mean something to somebody and then something completely to someone else. The same for liberal or progressive or whatever it is. And if you just talk in terms of just the principles and teach them that way, then people can kind of accept like, oh, yeah, this does make sense. Well, why shouldn't I apply the golden rule here, right? If I can't do this to my neighbor, why can I hire an intermediary like the government to go and do it for me? Mm -hmm. You know, some of those things really help people to think critically about this stuff, as opposed to just being like, oh, that's a conservative thing. No, I don't want anything to do with that. Or, oh, that's a progressive thing. No, that's terrible. That's evil, you know? But when you kind of remove those sort of baggage terms that come with it and just talk in terms of, here's the values, here are the principles, do you agree with them or not? Or here's, here's a way to discuss that with your kids. I think it's a much more effective way to approach it. Well, I, of course, I would agree with that. The other advantage of that is even if the, you know, you said kids will turn out the way they turn out, and their path is their own, even if they reject that. So for example, if they are taught that it's not right to hire someone else to use force to do something you couldn't do, they might come up with, and there obviously have been justified reasons. Well, people have used justified reasons in their own minds to say, oh, but in these cases, as long as we give them a voice, then it's okay because they're consenting and blah, 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 blah. But at least they've actually entertained the thought that, oh, I can't just expect that the government just exists to do whatever it decides it needs to do and justifies it itself. Like I have to, the justification needs to come from the people being governed or whatever thought process. It's like, okay, well, you know, I have a friend who kind of agrees with some of these principles in general, but he's like, but there's like, what about universal healthcare? I mean, he thinks that's a right because we all deserve life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, right? Like he somehow gets to universal health care paid for through a single payer or whatever because of similar principles. But at least he has to wrestle with how do you do this? How do you outsource it, right? Like at least you're getting kids to think through that rather than just blindly accepting whatever's on TV. Yes. Yes, I think that's very important. And that is one of the benefits we're seeing of this is, I mean, my daughter was writing a paper for school And it was talking about the justification for the Tea Party, not the more current one, but the actual original, (laughs) Um, the the tax on tea and was that okay or not. And then she was able to go back to what she'd learned from the show and kind of apply that to her response inside the paper she was writing. Because before she was just kind of like, 
well, that sounds okay. <laughs> and then, but if you don't have some principle that you kind of go back to and yeah. have a justification for, then you're not thinking critically about the subject, yeah. right? Yeah, you need some sort of analytical lens to, to evaluate what's going on in the world around you. Yep. So every book lover always wants to know about anything created for screen. How faithful is it to the originals? Yes. <laughs> and so uh, as, a, as a consumer of every single Tuttle Twins book and as a consumer of your show, we've got the same, roughly the same characters and some more. So I don't know if you want to paint a little bit of a picture of like, who are we going to meet in the show and how faithful were you to the original <laughs> stories? And I don't, by the way, I actually am not the kind of person who believes that every movie needs to faithfully, completely follow the storyline of, you know, the book and like always stay faithful to it. I think there's some creativity that probably should be done. So you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to tailor your answer to that. You're not trying to trap me. No, not here. at all. Not, not <laughs> okay. me. Maybe all my listeners are like, no, it should be faithful. I mean, I mean, I guess I understand if somebody if you really tinker with Lord of the Rings, maybe, but like, right. you know, other things, it's like, eh, yeah, you know, make it something else. It's a different piece of art. So anyway, back to the, how close is it to the books? How does it compare? What can people expect? And I mean, honestly, I would say, here's part of the question. If I've read the books, do I really need to see the show? That's probably <laughs> what some people are asking. I would say yes. If you've read the books, you for sure need to see the show. If you've seen the show, you for sure need to read the books, both directions. But when I sat down with Connor, and Connor is a co-executive producer on this project, so he actually oversees the teachings to make sure they're coming through the way they need to. Um, he's very much involved in the writing, so he's very much bought into this project as well. When I sat down with him and kind of laid out the vision of what we wanted to do, the best thing to relate it to was the Marvel brand. With Marvel, you have the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is kind of all the movies that we are known for, you know, breaking all the box office records all over the place. And then you also have like these Marvel cartoons that come out. You've got these Marvel comics that they were originally based off of. You've got all these toys. You've got video games. And each of them kind of have their own variation on things, but they have fundamentally kind of the same characters in it and sort of the same ideas that are coming across. And I would say that's a little bit the approach that we've taken with Tuttle Twins. The book series, when Connor set out to write it, he was really thinking of how to clearly illustrate these principles to kids. And he wasn't thinking in terms of a cartoon. And cartoons, they become financially viable through merchandising, meaning it's literally like 70% of the revenue is going to come through things like toys and t-shirts and games and all these different other things that aren't the cartoon themselves. And that's across the board. Like you can look up franchises like Toy Story and Cars. And that's like the box office numbers that they bring in are literally 10 to 15% of the overall revenue of the brand itself. They're just kind of ads for the toys is what they end up being. That is the financial model with cartoons. And so we approached the cartoon from that standpoint. Okay, we need to make these characters and stuff so that they look like things that kids would want to buy off of the shelves at like a place like Walmart or Target or wherever they're shopping, right? As either plushies or, or different things like that. We haven't even gotten to the toys yet, right? We're just in the middle of, well, just of our first season. And so the characters were designed with that in mind. And where the 
books are about, I'd say, 90% education and about 10% entertainment. We've kind of flipped that the other direction, where it's more like 10% education and 90% entertainment. The vision is for this to be a show that kids will choose to watch over their options on places like Disney+, Plus, YouTube, Netflix, wherever they're getting their entertainment. They just want to watch it as a really fun, interesting story, and then they'll be getting some lessons right along with it. An example I like to bring up is the original Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. There's a lesson in there we all remember. With great power comes... Great responsibility. Great responsibility. And we all remember it because it has a really impactful story behind it, right? Really memorable characters. And that's what we're looking to do with this is have those sort of teachings that come across in a clear way. For example, the third episode, the Tuttle Twins go back in time and they visit Adam Smith. So part of the show that was not in the books is there's time travel. They have a grandma with a time traveling wheelchair. (laughs) and That's just a really kind of fun concept because we're trying to mix this entertainment world of things like Phineas and Ferb and The Simpsons, but with the educational value and family friendliness of the Magic School Bus. So really trying to mix kind of this Phineas and Ferb type world with like the Magic School Bus education. And in episode three, when they go back in time to visit Adam Smith, he teaches them about how free trade gets stuff made, how when nations are allowed to trade freely that everyone ends up better off and you get miraculous things like a simple pencil that no one person in this world knows how to make by themselves. But when you get the people that create the rubber, that mine the metal for the little metal band that goes around the rubber eraser, that go off and get the trees for the wood and the graphite for the quote-unquote lead, all those things come together from different places all around the world and that are manufactured and shipped, and there's all these things that support it, but it's all made possible through free trade where different cultures and different religions and different beliefs and races and all these things can kind of come together in a mutually beneficial way to make products that would never come into existence without free trade. But again, that's how we're approaching this is where I would say we are very faithful to the principles in the books. And there's a few of the characters that are kind of the basic characters of what's in the books. But then we have a lot of other characters. We're bringing in a lot of cartoon elements that were never even conceptualized in the books. And I'd say kids can really enjoy this as a series. And then they can take a much deeper dive into the lessons and stuff in the books themselves. So Mm -hmm. what we share at the end of the day is what we're teaching. That is the main thing that's shared. The name is also shared with Ethan and Emily Tuttle being twins. But the grandma with the time-traveling wheelchair, that's new. The raccoon that is just kind of mischievous and wild is also new. Like there's an antagonist <laughs> and stuff in here by the name of Corinne. And they've got a kind of fun, dumb friend named Copernicus. It's kind of like Ralph Wiggum in The Simpsons. Um, there's, <laughs> there's all these elements that we've kind of brought in just to kind of have some fun with it. Again, we want kids to choose it as entertainment and then get the lessons right along with it. Every moment of the show is just full of thoughtful, and when I say thoughtful, I don't necessarily mean it's serious. I mean, it's clearly a very funny show. And sometimes it's like funny for adults. There's these like little things that happen between scenes, between cuts, between like 
things that someone says, you know, after another person that parents would get, the kids might not. Like every moment of the show is thoroughly thought out. And uh, I mean, even to the point where you you actually deal, you don't deal with, I should say, you sort of poke fun at the future problem if someone goes back in time and changes <laughs> the past. Like yes. I was not expecting this little tiny thing to happen that was like, wait, what? <laughs> so yes. there's a, it's, just, it's like you play with everything possible in every single moment, which is what makes this such a high quality show that's not just simply, oh yeah, they made the Tuttle Twins into a cartoon. Like, I think my expectations for it, knowing when Connor was seeking that to be a possibility as a reality, I'm pretty sure there was like a sort of test run that I got an email for and whatever. And I'm like, this was nothing like what I was expecting. And this is, when I say production, this is like television production, you know, level. This is Saturday morning quality here. Yeah, that's um, what we're let's, shooting let's, for. You, you're in my generation kind of understands that a little bit more, I suppose, but that's what you were shooting for. And honestly, I, I feel like you've really achieved it in a way that like it kept all three of my children engaged, one of which I was not expecting him to stay. And it just really, really worked. Hi, this is Carrie Baldwin. And if you like the Libertarian Christian podcast, you'll like our other podcast, Good News, Bad News, a roundtable where you can join me, Matt, Norman, Doug, Aaron, and others analyze the news from a libertarian Christian perspective. Check us out on YouTube, your favorite podcast app, or on libertarianchristians.com slash roundtable. One question I have about this, you sort of mentioned the whole 90% entertainment, 10% educational aspect. How did you decide how to write it in a way that wasn't preachy? I mean, there's got to be these moments where, where people learn lessons yes. and that sort of, pardon the pun that you'll get, is that kind of fuels the direction of the episode. And so you have a problem with, you know, being preachy, then kids won't want to watch it, right? Like, right. they're like, um, yeah, I know what you adults are up to. You're trying to teach me something while telling me you're just going to entertain me. So how right. did you deal with that problem as you were sort of developing the show? Ooh, that is a great question, Doug. So every episode, we decide first, what is the principle we're teaching? And it's usually one principle, maybe as many as three that kind of still point towards the same principle. For example, in episode three, we, t we teach about free trade. In the second episode, we teach about the golden rule as it relates to blowback, right? And when we are going through this process of what kind of a story we're going to tell, the story has to flow out of the principle, not the other way around. Meaning we don't say, oh, this, here, this is this really cool thing that the twins could do. We could time travel here and yada, yada, yada. Okay, what, what principle would, would fit into that? Or how can we make this principle fit into that? We don't do it that way. We say, okay, what are we going to teach in this episode? Okay, now what is the story that naturally flows out of that? And that's our starting point. Um, one of our main writers on the project, Kellen Erskine, who's a, a very funny comedian. He's been very influential in helping us sh shape that sort of structure of really clarifying what we're going to be teaching and then making sure the story feels like it comes out of it naturally. And that is a little bit of how we go about this so that when at the end of the day, it is mostly entertainment that they're absorbing. It feels like it all plays right into the story and it's all 
teaching in a way that it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel shoehorned. It doesn't feel unnatural. It doesn't feel preachy because it is part of the natural discovery process that the Tuttle Twins are going through in solving a particular problem within that episode or going on a particular journey. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's yeah. kind of how that's kind of how we're going about it. And so far it seems to be working very well where we don't have kids just being like, oh gosh, so you're just you're just giving me a Sunday school lesson or like a mm, yeah. or like a school lesson of some kind here. What we find is actually the opposite, that what kids seem to be very into the characters and like have their favorite characters and their favorite moments in the same way that they have them for the entertainment they're getting from places like Disney or Nickelodeon or wherever they're watching. Yeah. As you were developing the show, what are some other hurdles that you had to sort of overcome? I mean, one of them might be that you didn't have NBC paying you to make this show or anything (laughs) like that, right? So, I mean, there's financial struggles in terms of like, you know, where do you come up with the money to create this? And so there's that. What are some other hurdles and development problems that you faced? Let's go for the financial one first, because that one is probably the most interesting. Our distributor is Angel Studios. Angel Studios is known for the hit show, The Chosen. Your audience hasn't seen that yet. It's a multi-season show about the life of Jesus Christ and his followers. And they have somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think, 330 million views on it now. They're finished with their second season. Their third season is funded. Anyway, it's been very successful. It's available on an app and so on. But it was groundbreaking in the fact that it was crowdfunded. The very first season, they were able to go out and crowdfund kind of like you do on Kickstarter and raise over $10 million to fund that first season. We did the same thing with Tuttle Twins, where we went out to the audience that had been buying the books, Connor's audience, and a bunch of other like-minded, freedom-loving parents. And we put together a marketing campaign to fundraise for this first season. We were able to raise raise over $3.7 million through crowdfunding to be able to fund season one. Now, we had some other money from private investment. But as far as crowdfunding goes, we became the number one crowdfunded show for kids of all time in the history of the world. So it was really huge that way. And that was challenging in that, you know, you have to go and convince all these people to invest in the show. And it's not like Kickstarter where you're just getting a free t-shirt or whatever else. You're actually investing in the success of the show. Meaning if Tuttle Twin Show succeeds, then you'll succeed. Meaning the idea is to actually give people a return on their investment. As we start making a sustainable show and making money is to actually pay investors back, right? That'll become a financial success for them as well. And there's the burden of doing that, of going out and somehow convincing over 9,000 people to invest in your show. But then there's also the huge advantage in that you don't have any Hollywood executives in the traditional sense being able to dictate to you what you can put in the show and what you can't, which we see happens a lot. And so we answer to no one but the crowd who invested in us. That's who we're responsible to. So we're very much trying to make a show that is faithful to what people invest into, which is something that can really teach kids about the principles of freedom. And we don't have some liberal Hollywood bigwig or whatever it is that can kind of come down on us and be like, no, you can't put that in there. No, I don't want to, I don't want to see that in this show. No, just kind of focus on, on this other stuff. That's not the case. It's very much supported and funded by the crowd, which means it can't be canceled <laughs> in that, in the, in the traditional sense, it can only be yeah, right. pretty much can, canceled by the, by the crowd. And, and so that's who we're looking to support and really get the support from going forward. And that's been a huge advantage in the process. And one of the other 
challenges that we're facing now is just getting more people to watch it. What we're finding is that when people watch it, they really like it. It's very similar to your response where it's like, wow, I'm surprised at how entertaining this was. This is really fun. It's teaching it really well. So some evidence of that is kind of the like to dislike ratio that we've had on the episodes on YouTube. We get about 96% positive, meaning thumbs up to thumbs down. And I know YouTube has kind of taken down the thumbs down numbers, but we can see them on the back end. So they're very positive that way. And similarly, we're at 9.6 right now, I think, on our IMDb score, which is kind of one of the main authorities where people look up online to see if something's any good. It's mm. like, oh, this Spider-Man No Way Home. What is this? You know, what, what do people give this? And uh, yeah, we're at 9.6, which is really encouraging. So people are really Is that better it. than Spider-Man No Way Home? Do we know? Well, it it is. We don't have nearly <laughs> as many. We don't have nearly as many reviews. I'm not going to say it's a better. It's better. <laughs> the show itself is better, but it is a higher IMDb score right now. But it's also on less on less overall ratings. But we have a few communists that have jumped in and given us a one star, and that's fine. We we expect <laughs> some of that to happen. So it's really getting this out to as many eyeballs as possible, and it, the word of mouth spreading from one parent to another, and the product is starting to come together. Right, we're five episodes in. We've got seven more episodes to go for this first season. So for a total of twelve. And we feel like if we can get it to the right people that can talk about it, then we feel like it has a really great chance of becoming a sustainable show that people can really fall in love with and want to follow. So you're already talking about the success of the show depends on basically the market response, which is the funders and the people watching it. What's been some of your favorite responses feedback that you've been given by just an average viewer? I'm sure you've seen some of these come across your desk or your email or whatever. What has been some of the ones that you've really personally liked to hear about? I mean, I could tell you how much I like the show and you know, you're hearing that a lot, I'm sure. But like, what are some of the ones that are more meaningful to you? There was one where a person told the story of their five-year-old that's been watching Tuttle Twins and they were playing together. So this five-year-old was playing together with his cousins and they were starting to kind of play roughhouse and perhaps a little bit a little bit more rough than normal. And it was getting to the point that he felt like, okay, this is not okay. We're not like getting along well together. And he stops the action for a minute with his cousins. He's like, hey, you should treat each other nice. You need to watch Tuttle Twins and the Tuttle Twins with the story about the worms. It's what he said, which is from episode two. <laughs> it's about the golden rule. And so this parent was writing in just saying how this show was having real impact on kids and just keep doing your good work. I really appreciate what you're doing. And that was very, that to me was like a huge payday as a creator to hear a story like that, that kids are internalizing it and trying to apply it. Yeah. And even in in his own little five-year-old way, because I mean, quite honestly, the show was more intended for, you know, kind of six to 12-year-olds, that kind of range, or maybe even eight to 12-year-olds in some cases. But it's good to hear things like that happening. We're also hearing on every single episode we've released, we've seen some comment somewhere of people saying, this one was my favorite. And that's cool when you're five episodes in and every single episode, someone has said this one's their favorite. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so meaning different episodes are hitting different kind of sweet spots for different people. And yeah. that's fun to see that it's not just one episode that just rises to the top and that's what everybody loves. I, I like that everyone has kind of their... They're either their pet favorite story or principle. That's really cool to see. And I just love it when people quote lines. You know, they'll just throw in little lines. Like there's 
I know I've said we're avoiding labels. We have decided there is one label that's just okay to throw out as an insult, and that's communist. Um, <laughs> we've decided in the show that we're okay yeah, to just totally make, make fun of that one. And so there's a line from episode one where grandma says, we've got places to go, people to see communists to offend. And it's funny to see people kind of write that in the comments or there's other, other sort of one-liners that go throughout the different episodes that people are quoting. That's really fun. Well, and it's not just a random label that you're throwing. I mean, there's there's a story. Maybe you haven't explored the story yet, but like Grandma has a story as to why that's the case for her, why yes. she's the one that started that comment. Yes, and later on, we'll be getting into that. I think it's we get into it much more depth. I think it's episode eight where... You go we back and kill Grandma's baby Hitler. Backstory. Well, we learn <laughs> we learn Grandma's backstory that she immigrated from Cuba, and yeah. that her family left an oppressive communist regime, and there was a reason for doing that, and that is why she now has a time traveling wheelchair to take her grandkids back to learn these lessons because she witnessed them firsthand, and so she's going to teach about that. So some of the departures that we've made from the books and the way of the characters is very story-driven that we feel like will help communicate yeah. sort of that difference between approaching government with a freedom mentality and one that's more authoritarian, one that where you're trying to control people more. So let's talk a little bit about the villains in the show, if we could really call them villains. I mean, it's probably overstating it, although the antagonist, at least. Yes. There's one recurring one, Corinne, which Corinne. is mm-hmm. uh, cleverly named... I'll just leave it at that for listeners to go watch sure. it because it's perfect. Cleverly named. But there's also like the handful of like bad guys that show up in any particular episode. And one comment that I did receive from a friend of mine who who watched it with my family, he's like, yeah, that just seems like some of these villains are kind of like straw men. And he does not share the like strong principles of freedom the way the way I do. Sure. And so he's always giving me pushback about certain things and we talk about stuff and so forth. So I don't know if his criticism, I don't think his criticism is actually quite fair because first of all, it's a TV show for kids. It's a, and, yes, exactly. And, it's, it's, and it's second of all, it's like, well, second of all, hang on. What amount of nuance can you create in a situation that makes it okay for someone else to threaten or harm others? Right. Like the whole thing is like, well, oh, well, life is complicated and therefore we need we need an authoritarian situation where people are telling other people what to do in some instances. Yeah. So anyway, I, I don't, I don't know what thoughts you have on that other than beyond the TV show. I'm sure you have some, some deeper thoughts. Yeah. So our ongoing antagonist is Corinne, like you mentioned, which is kind of the cul-de-sac kids club president. Right. And she is getting in the way of the tunnels in a lot of different circumstances and is very much in, enticed by power, right? As someone that wants to control other people. And you run into other antagonists along the way, like you said, that are kind of more simplified or more caricatures of different types of personalities that want to control things. And you very much hit the nail on the head. We are going for, it's a kid show. It has to wrap itself up in about 20 to 22 minutes. And so there's Sometimes with those antagonists themselves, we can't get into a a tremendous amount of nuance. We feel like where it goes a little bit deeper into that is with the books. The deeper dive on the education is with the books themselves. And we feel like the arguments within each individual episode actually have more nuance than some of these characters themselves do. Mm. And it's not going to be a tremendous amount 
but it at least kind of states the principle clearly so that kids can understand it and then hopefully strike up a conversation with parents to kind of discuss things more in depth and how that applies locally, how that applies nationally and those types of things. And so at the end of the day, like you said, I would kind of flip the argument in the reverse is like what sort of nuance is needed to kind of justify using violence against your neighbor in a way that you wouldn't do it personally, but, you know, sort of hiring the government to do that for you. And I would say that also can kind of end up in a little bit of (laughs) that nuance doesn't make as much sense for me, at least for my belief system. But yeah, I I think it's a fair criticism that also has a fair response of like, we're in a kid show, there's only so much you can do nuance wise when teaching these principles clearly. And we do hope this is a Cobian experience where they'll discover and discuss this stuff more in depth with their parents. Yeah, well, and the follow up to that on a from a critic standpoint would be like, well, this is why you can't teach kids simplistic ideas because then it becomes sort of propaganda or whatever. And I'm, my gut reaction to that is, have you watched any of the other stuff that's just available out there? I mean, people right. have to literally choose to watch this. It's not like they just sit down and it's like, Tuttle Twins is on at 5.30 and here's what the state media has wanted us to watch. Right. This is, it's like, this is an alternative <laughs> to you, yes. what people are getting already. Oh yeah, you, br- you bring up a really good point in this, our show is very transparent about what it's trying to accomplish. We are teaching kids principles of freedom and economics, point blank. That is what we're doing. That's what the yeah. show is about. Yep. That's the stated goal. Everyone understands that going in. On the other side, if they go and look at the ideas, sometimes agenda, and different things that are being taught in their regular programming that they're finding in places like you know YouTube, Disney+, Netflix, wherever it is, other ideas are creeping in that parents are like, what? I don't agree with this like at all. But that's just coming packaged up in what is mm-hmm. supposed to be just regular entertainment. Like yeah. they're getting the argument from the other side completely. It's just from all that other programming and not transparently. So it's just kind of being baked in there and inserted as opposed to this show's goal is very much to teach about the, the concepts of freedom. It's to give parents these tools to be able to more effectively teach their kids. So we don't yeah. feel like we're hiding anything. We're being very transparent about it. And we sleep well at night doing that. <laughs> so speaking of tools, I think this is probably a good way to wrap up is uh, talk about the tools beyond the show that that exist or maybe will exist and resources, websites. Where do parents go to further that conversation after watching an episode or or all of them? Yeah, so the best tool, again, is to dive deeper into the books themselves that are written by Connor Boyack. And then he has a whole bunch of materials that his books are based off of, right? Frederick Bastia's The Law. In The Golden Rule, he's got a lot of it based on Ron Paul's A Foreign Policy of Freedom. In The Miraculous Pencil, he's got that based on, I think it's the book I Pencil. Mm-hmm. So there's all these yeah. essays and books that have been written on these principles where people can dive much deeper, but I'd say even deeper than the episodes themselves of the TV show is to go into the original books and read them there. And that will provide a much deeper education, a way to think critically about these things so that they can help their kids have more well-rounded education around it. I mean, for example, one of the most eye-opening books for me ever on economics was Henry Hazlitt's Economics in, in One Lesson. Like that was just so, I'd never seen the principles of economics spelled out so clearly before. 
in a way that I could make logical sense of them. So those are really good resources. And I think we get into that one. Gosh, is it episode seven or eight? I can't remember. It's somewhere in there that we're getting into that one. And then as far as the TV show goes, like they can find Tuttle Twins on YouTube. Just search Tuttle Twins and you'll find the episodes there. We've also made it available on, on Facebook. And then there's an Angel app that you can download and watch it for free. The show is meant to be for free. We want it to reach 100 million kids. And the only way that's going to happen is if there's no friction for people being able to watch. So it's right. available for yeah. free on YouTube and, and all those different places. So, But also, TuttleTwins.tv is where you can download the app for free as well. Excellent. Well, Daniel, I applaud your efforts and success already. And I, I have a feeling that this will continue to just get better and better as we watch things grow and, and more episodes come out. And I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on and talk about it. Well, thanks for having me on, Doug. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Thank you.